0: Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller, and my guest today is someone I'm super excited to introduce you to, Rosella Haiti white She's a theologian, spiritual life coach, leadership consultant, inspirational speaker, and a writer. Her first book, Love Big, came out last year, and after reading it, I knew I wanted to have Rosella as a guest on the podcast. She has such an ease about her and her ability to speak life into people while also challenging you to take a deeper look at who you are is a true gift. Rosella has a passion for helping people fall more deeply in love with themselves so they can share this love with others in ways that lead to creativity, liberation, and living our most meaningful lives. Her message of living out the greatest commandment is so timely right now as we're walking in the wilderness of this pandemic. I know my conversation with Rosella left me encouraged to not only survive during this hard time, but to actually find ways to thrive and love our neighbor. Rosella, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast.
1: Thank you for
0: having me. Well, I am thankful to have you here today as I just told you your message has spoken to me in the last couple of days just watching your videos through this pandemic and your advice and knowledge has just helped me. So I hope I hope it will help our listeners too and be a good message for them.
1: Oh wow. Well, thank you very much for your kind words.
0: I've pre-recorded your intro your professional resume so our listeners are aware of that but can you just introduce yourself as far as your day-to-day where you live what takes up how your days look and that sort of thing
1: absolutely so Before, right, coronavirus, I would say that I own my own coaching and consulting business and I'm based out of Houston, Texas, which is home. But I travel a lot, I speak, I consult, I facilitate groups, and I also have an online coaching business. And yeah, Houston is home. Now in the time of coronavirus, I'm in my home all the time. Um, (laughs) But I do help my brother with his two kids. So I have um, a niece and a nephew who are teens. And I help him homeschool. So I, I'm normally with them on Monday and Wednesday. Though so today is a little different. But yeah, that's kind of how life okay. is for me right now.
0: Okay, gotcha. Because I I wondered about the homeschooling because I've watched some of your videos where you're homeschooling and I thought, I don't, I've missed this, that she has children. So that makes (laughs) sense now. (laughs) Yes,
1: it's it's my niece and my nephew.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And you're being a godsend to your brother to help out with that. So how old are your niece and nephew that you're helping to homeschool?
1: They are my nephew, Jaden, he's 14 and my niece, Brooklyn, she is 13. Okay. So they are a year apart. So a couple of teenagers,
0: and I'm sure they're they're teaching you as much as you're teaching them in this process.
1: I mean, yes, and so my <laughs> background is youth and family ministry, and so for a good 15 years, I did youth ministry um, okay. in congregations, and middle schoolers and high schoolers were my jam. So, gotcha. You know, okay. they teach me the things that are about today's time because there's a lot of things that I I realize I'm getting older and I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah. And there this is like the age that I love. So, so it's been fun.
0: Well, I have a teenager. I wish I could just send her your way. It would
1: be perfect. <laughs> I love them. I really love
0: them. <laughs> no, it is a fun age. I have a couple good ones, so it's a it is a fun age. So, let's go ahead. We're going to dive into your story and then we're going to utilize your coaching services to speak some life into us about getting through this this really hard time of life. But before we do that, do you want to just start for us your origin story? One of the things I saw in your book that struck me. It said, when you want to know the truth of who you are, you have to return to the beginning of your story. Let's start with that for you, kind of an overview of where you grew up, who you grew up with, and the start to your story.
1: Absolutely. Well, and I always start my story and start, you know, deeper introductions of myself with my name, because that is so important to who I am. Mm -hmm. And so my name is Rosella Ide White, my dad's mom. She was the granddaughter of sharecroppers who had migrated up to New York, and she was 14. Um, with her first pregnant with her first child and married to a former Navy man, and she went on to have to birth seven children. My dad being one of four boys, and she had three girls. But her name is Rose Ella, and so it was capital R O S E, capital E L L A, um, and so that's my first name. That's who I'm named for. The granddaughter of sharecroppers, people mm-hmm. from the American South who um, lived through the legacy of slavery. And on my grandmother's side, on my dad's mom's side, um, they were the side of the family that loved life, loved to party, loved a good time, um, but also loved God. And it was also very interesting because a lot of times those things didn't seemingly match up, but as I got older, I realized they most certainly matched up in terms of their love of life, their love of God, and the ways that they embodied that. And so that's my first name, so I am the granddaughter of Rose Ella, and then my middle name is for my mom's mom. Um, Her name was Aide Gisela, and she was the daughter of Afro-Caribbean folks that came from Panama and Puerto Rico and ultimately ended up in New York. And so she was an only child whose mom died when she was seven, and she was then raised by who we call the aunts, um, these fierce women that had come from Puerto Rico and had bonded together, bought a house, and then went on to raise my grandmother, who then eventually went on to have my mother, who was also an only child, and raised her. And that side of the family was much more, I don't even want to, elegant is the word that comes to mind, but they were very staunch in terms of the way that they understood life and responsibility. Um, They were not the partying side of the family, but they were very much the responsible side of the family. And they were also the ones who also loved God, loved loved faith, loved, loved community and church. Um, So those are the two women that I'm named for, and those are the two sides that come to bear in me. I am the daughter of Clarence and Diane White. Um, Clarence, who grew up in this life, larger than life family, and who was one of of, um, seven children, but he is the only boy that lived beyond the age of 19. So he had three other brothers, all of them uh, died because of the heroin epidemic in the 70s and 80s, and then he met my mom who was from the other side of the proverbial tracks, if you mm-hmm. will. And she was an educator. She had gone to to college to be a teacher and they had me and I was born. And at that time, my parents weren't married. Um, they lived together and then they separated, but they brought me into this this world. And it was during a time when both sides were questioning, right, their sanity for doing this. My dad had three other children. My mom mm-hmm. hadn't had any children. Um, and she told me earlier um, in my life that I was the gift that she knew she was charged to bring into the world. Mm. And so that's how I got to be here. And those two realities in terms of who my parents are, who my grandparents are, are huge um, in terms of who I am. So I kind of live at the intersection of loving larger than life, having this deep responsibility for community, um, being someone who's a risk taker and who loves God unapologetically, but loves God in a way that tends to be much more expansive, much more inclusive, and and I would dare to say even more joyful than I think a lot of people have experienced, um, both faith and, and God because of their religious upbringings. Um, I- and so, oh, oh. yeah.
0: No, I was just going to say, I really love so much how you, because you talk about that in your book too, but your grandmas, like you go back, way back, like so often we think of our story, we're like, okay, well, I was born and then from there on, but you go back and it was just powerful the credit you give to your grandma. As you say, I credit my outlook on life to my mother and grandmothers. All of them were incredibly faithful women who who experienced more heartbreak and brokenness than anyone should experience. And I just... I don't. That just gives me chills reading that because I'm like, we, what we're going through now is hard, but yes. generations before us have gone through hard things and their faith remained. And what that legacy that was left in you is just really strong that you can tell. And I just, I don't know why I can almost tear up that that's just a really powerful part of your story. And I think something we all need to take a closer look at.
1: Well, and that's something, thank you for saying that because that's something that I've been actually inviting people to, I think my entire career, but especially in this moment. Right, this recognition that we are part of a larger story. Mm-hmm. And I think the lie that we believe is that this particular moment in time is the moment in time, the only moment in time. And the recognition, and I don't ever want to take away that this moment in time is hard, right? My grandmother Rose, um, she's actually on hospice right now and she's declining okay. every day, right? So she's dying separate mm-hmm. and apart from the pandemic, right? My dad is on disability, Um, he has lung disease, you know, Um, life is hard right and life this isn't all of life right and we are part of a larger story and I think that one of the things that we can do in these moments is to remember our stories to remember our ancestral stories to remember how people got through to spend some time for people of faith I mean I'm someone of the Christian tradition there are any number of stories of images of metaphors of admonitions about how we deal with struggle, how we deal with wilderness. And I think that this is the moment to remember, to piece back together those stories because it offers us hope, it offers us examples of resilience, and it offers us comfort to know that we are not alone. This is a moment and it's hard and it sucks. And
0: So going along with that and the power of going back through our stories, (sighs) I mean, one that just, I'm sure just lingers with you and is so powerful is that your paternal grandma was one generation removed from slavery. And that, I mean, there's, so we could talk for hours about that, but how have you, tell me how that's played into your own story of not only this time, but just processing all the things that you've walked through in your life.
1: Yeah. So I would say I'm going to start with how it's played recently because I've recently had moments of sheer like like just sheer aha moments recently Mm -hmm. that i hadn't had before um so i'm a hugely i would say competitive person but not like competitive in terms of like games or things like that just in terms of competitive in the this journey of life right like i want to succeed i want to do well i want to you know make my family proud i want to be able to support causes and and Institutions and organizations I care about, um, and you know, a few years ago, I took the leap to kind of leave a very stable, secure, steady um, career. In, in some respects, even though I think that all of that can be called into question now, <laughs> but you know, in that moment, like I had a steady paycheck, I had, I made good money, I was doing good work, and I left that to start my own business um, and take a risk and a leap of faith that I felt like I was being called to do. And that was in 2016. um, And it's 2020, right? And there are moments when I'm like, why have I not succeeded in this way, in in a particular way? But I've had to take a step back recently and be like, wait a minute, you are literally, I'm four generations, three to four generations removed from slavery, Mm -hmm. right? Three to four generations ago, the people in my family and in my life and who people who looked like me weren't even considered human. Right. And in that amount of time, not only has my family done things, experienced things, educated themselves, participated in society, but also I have gotten to this place where I was even able to make a choice to take a risk and to step out on faith, to do what I wanted to do and what I felt called to do. Are you there? Yeah, I am. I'm (laughs) I'm letting
0: that sink in because I, you know, I'm a, you don't know, but I'm a white person and it's, it's, I don't obviously have that part of my story. So I can only imagine how that just ripples through so much of your narrative and story as you are walking through this world removed just a few generations ago from that.
1: Yeah. And, and like going back to like, wait, the, the resilience that is, is in my DNA by nature of this horrific right? Um, I don't even know what to, this horrific thing, right? That Mm -hmm. this country and other countries were a part of. And it's like, wait, if we can get through that, then I can do anything. Yeah. Like legitimately. But it- and, and so that's kind of how it, it impacts me. But it's also this, like this, it makes me be more gracious with myself because no, I don't have generational wealth to draw on. And I don't even mean wealth in terms of like major wealth, but like, I don't have previous generations that were able to save or were able to buy homes or were able to engage in the formal education system. You know, I don't have yeah. that, you know, so everything that I have experienced has been both through, I think on the one hand, some of the work of my parents, but also through the grace of God, also through just sheer opportunity in certain moments, right? And and so it just has led me to be also a little bit more gracious when I feel like I haven't achieved what people who are in my age category but look different than me have achieved. It's like, wait, there are some reasons for that. And it's not just because of a lack of hard work, right? Because living in in the United States, we can really believe that all it takes is hard work. Right. And
0: a lot of privilege goes along with (laughs) why we are. But girl, let me tell you, you have a book, you have a consulting business, like... Gracious, yeah. you've accomplished a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, we've talked a little bit about your faith, and I know that's been a big part of your life. So, talk a little bit about that aspect of your story. When you were you raised in a Christian home with your grandma and mom, or when did that really start to develop and? change in your story
1: yeah so on my mom's side I mean both sides of the family everyone was very much engaged in in Christianity so on my dad's side my grandmother um, she was from the holiness Pentecostal tradition which ended up being more Baptist later in life and then I had one of her uncles was a pastor and I remember going to his church and being in that space but you know that was a very normal thing and on my mom's side that side of my family was um, Episcopalian to Lutheran Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's the church and tradition I grew up in, right? My grandmother, my mom's mom was a church organist. She volunteered as a church musician. We were very active in church growing up. And when my mom and my stepfather met and married, he was Episcopalian. And that's what got us down to Houston when I was six. And we were just very active in the church. So I grew up in the Lutheran church here in Houston, very active as a young person. And I was always in churches that had pastors who were very accepting and open to young people, Both leading and just being a part of the life of the congregation. So I grew up, I feel like in some respects, very privileged when it comes to conversations around church and faith. Not only was I a part of a a fairly inclusive denomination, but I also was in a denomination where I had women pastors and I also had pastors that really poured into young people. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, thought that's what church was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's
0: not what it is everywhere
1: at all. Right. Right. And it's yeah, it's just interesting. You know, again, going back to our origin stories helps us understand why we see the world in the ways that we see it or why when we struggle with certain things, we struggle with them. Right. So when I started encountering people and I grew up in Texas, so it didn't take long. You know, once I got to middle school and high school and my friends were also active in churches, but their churches were very different from mine and their way of talking about God and faith was very different and it was like oh i didn't realize that people were really afraid of this thing called hell and that god was like mm-hmm. this mean or you know just domineering force in their life like that just was not my right. experience or that women um, and couldn't be
0: pastors i mean yeah you know, that women got- couldn't be
1: pastors <laughs> like what is that i had three uh-huh. pastors who were women before i was 18.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's it. We're encountering that. We, we've we lived in, I'm in Oklahoma, but we've lived here mm-hmm. six years, and we came from a very inclusive Lutheran church in Iowa, where women were mm-hmm. pastors, and then coming down to here to the heart of the Bible Belt has been hard, because we, yes. it's it's very different, and my eyes have been open to a lot. Like you, you start encountering people that haven't been raised the same, and your eyes start to be open, but yet your faith just remained very strong through this, probably because of your where you grew up and the inclusivity.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: So have for you sure. al- Have you always had the, pa- like I know you have such a passion for love and justice and equity. Have you always had a passion for that? Or is that just, has your, you moved along in your story and you saw the need for it?
1: I would say yes, but, right? <laughs> so okay. So I would say growing up, I always, I was the person who was always thinking about the people who weren't included, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, even in my friend group, my friend group was very diverse. I mean, I went to a an all-black high school, um, but we had like, there were Latinos, there were folks who were LGBTQ, you know, there were obviously all the things within that. And my friend group included those folks, right? And I had zero tolerance for people judging that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a part of that. Growing up, I was also a part of um, the city I lived in, Missouri City, which is a suburb of Houston, and when I was in 7th or 8th grade founded this thing called the Mayor's Youth Commission and I was on that as a young person and then became like the chairwoman for that my senior year in high school and that was really like bridging the gap between young people and like mm-hmm. civic and political engagement so yeah, right? Like that was there too and I was charitable because I think that's what church taught me, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you care about and you're of service to others and you give when you have but I don't think justice for me became a heart thing until there were two kind of definitive events because I also grew up, you know, my parents left New York and I grew up in Missouri City, which is a suburb of Houston. I grew up in the suburbs. My dad, my mom and my dad, and this is part of my story in my book, uh, got back together. My mom, my biological dad, and he became a nurse at MD Anderson Cancer Center. My mom was an educator, but then moved into administration um, as a aso- assistant principal. And so I grew up in a fairly middle-class lifestyle. I mean, I started driving at 16. I didn't have to work. Um, I was active in extracurricular activities. So I was I was far removed from from struggle as it was identified by my parents, right? So I had my own stuff, but poverty or, or socioeconomic or housing insecurity, all of that, none of that was a part of my story. Um, and so when I got to college, I went to Spelman College my freshman year and in 1999, I believe it was that fall, it might have been that spring, um, a man by the name of Amadou Diallo was shot, I don't. I think it was like almost 100 times, by police in New York, and they thought that he had a gun and he had a wallet. Mm. And I remember being a part of a protest that went down to the Capitol in Atlanta to protest this injustice, and that was a pivotal moment because I was like, why would someone shoot someone those many times, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, again, because I grew up in Texas, I also was not against guns. I was probably one of the only people in my friend group who didn't get a gun when they were 18 because my parents weren't from Texas. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't a part of our psyche. And so I just, you know, didn't think really deeply about those things, but going to Spelman, a historically black college um, and university and being a part of some movements against injustice definitely opened my eyes to what justice and injustice really were. Right, And then I would say a second experience that did that for me was um, my first international trip that wasn't to a resort. Right, we used to go to Mexico all the time, but I went with a group of folks in 2004 to Ethiopia and it was a beautiful experience, a beautiful country, beautiful people. And I remember thinking, "Wait, this is not like the the videos that I saw, you know, when Michael Jackson was doing the save the world, save the children videos back in the day." And yeah. and yes, there was, you know, ridiculous amounts of poverty, but there was also ridiculous amounts of innovation and beauty and cultural connection. And so that led me to be more curious too about the stories we tell about people. And that trip also exposed the ways in which in my, like the U.S. and other kind of large countries impact other countries, right? How our policies, how the ways in which we use resources and abuse resources impact other people. So that began to lift my like psyche to global issues. And that also shifted how I viewed justice.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. I have a common thread just with the stories. When you start Opening your ears and your eyes and your mind to other people's stories because, yes. especially me as a white woman in a safe little environment, I can stay so closed in and not everything's fine. But when you start hearing stories like you, I traveled to Uganda, I traveled to Nicaragua and I see the stories, I see the impact what the United States is doing. Like, it, And even with this podcast, hearing stories from immigrants, it opens your mind so much to the plight of others, the need for justice, how not everybody has justice, our privilege. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so stories are so impactful. Yes, I can totally relate to you with that. And that's why I just find like even your story fascinating of how your plight for justice and faith and encouraging others to love so i know part of your story though you have hard parts i know you you say you were very inclusive but you yourself always felt like a loner Read that you've said before so i know that impacts though your story and who you are now so talk a little bit about that part of your story
1: yeah so i was always a little bit odd right again coming from new york at six to houston was a huge shift culturally. I mean, everything changed. I did not fit in and I was really shy and I was unsure of myself, right? So, all of that compounded to just always make me feel like I was on the outside. I was really sensitive too, and not just sensitive in terms of my own emotions, but sensitive to what others were feeling, right? That impacted me a lot. And so, I spent a lot of times, and I talk about this in the book. I spent a lot of times with books. I mean, this is where books became my my refuge. And and just like what you said just a second ago, books hold stories that take us to other places, that invite us to to think about life differently. And it really they really sparked my imagination, but also kept me out of, you know, the the things that I was in the midst of in the moment of feeling like an outsider, feeling like a loner. And it's interesting because that was definitely the way that I felt. And I would say that was the truth up until the eighth grade, um, and then eighth grade I found cheerleading, mm. <laughs> and that changed. <laughs> that's my ironic
0: life. that that
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was ironic for everyone involved. Uh-huh. My parents are like, "You want to do what?" And I don't. Uh, know, I don't funny. know what it was. But I cheered from eighth grade essentially through twelfth grade, and and engaged a group of women that I'm still friends with today that were a huge part of kind of the second part of my my formation story. Because I would say the first part was really about me being unsure of myself and being unsure of my voice and questioning everything to becoming more sure of myself, to becoming someone who literally used their voice like every week and to to gaining skills that weren't just about sportive cheer, but also about life and relationship and leadership. And even within the cheerleading squad, I was still a bit of an anomaly, right? I was a cheerleader, but I also was a part of the National Honor Society or like I was also like this nerd. And so it was this interesting space to be in too. but that ended up being a huge part of my story. Um, and that's,
0: that's not something you hear credited to cheerleading through high school very often,
1: very often. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I mean, I, I love it. I loved it. And I often say, if you haven't watched cheer on Netflix, I know that was all the thing at the beginning of the year that seems like so long ago, but like, watch it.
0: Okay. <laughs> I haven't watched it. Is that appropriate for my daughters? What age group is that for?
1: So I would say it follows a junior college Navarro um, okay. cheerleading squad. Okay.
0: And how old are your daughters? Well, I have an 11 year old and a 17 year old.
1: I would say yes, based on okay. this conversation.
0: Okay. We might,
1: we'll check that out because yeah. we're looking
0: for things to do at home, on the home front. So we will check that out. So that was a really, a shift in your story. And I think that kind of brings to like your message in Love Big the three points I got out of that, you're really focusing on love your neighbor as yourself, and but you've got to start with knowing yourself and loving yourself. So is that something you? I'm guessing that you struggled with for a lot of your life is knowing yourself and loving yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's where going back to the beginning of our story helps us know more, right? Mm-hmm. So the other thing I, I say I dabble in, but I'm, I'm actually hoping to get back into it more is around um, the art the art of chakras right like this okay. notion that we have these energy centers within our beings and um it's something that comes from you know our indian siblings eastern thought that energy moves through in up, throughout us and there's seven chakras that go from our root all the way up to our crown so from our feet to the tops of our head okay. and the reason i say that is because when i started doing that work i recognized that most of my struggles resided in my lower three chakras, which are the ones that form first when you're younger, right? So I never felt like I knew who I was. And part of that was because I wasn't ever fully rooted. Mm -hmm. And that led to some other things um, that led to some disconnects later in life. And so when I think about being rooted, there's certain things that I learned that were part of my story that then were like aha moments, right? So yes, my parents brought me to life. Um, and loved me and loved me so much still to this day. And during that time, when my mom was pregnant with me, she was under immense amounts of stress and was actually encouraged to get an abortion, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think even in utero, there was stress that I was carrying that she was carrying that then came out in my own later diagnosis of being someone who lives with anxiety, right? Mm, that's um, or of my parents, you know, separating um, when I was younger. And my dad is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And so those two things led to me not having a consistent relationship with him. And then when my mom and my stepdad divorced, that was another father figure that left. And so those things led me to believe that there was something inherently wrong with me, that the men that were supposed to stay didn't. So I just say that to then bring that to the forefront of like part of my inner work has been going back through my story to to figure out where did this disconnect with my inner self start where did this anxiety start? Where did this questioning of my worth, right? And my ability start. And it didn't just happen out the blue, it, it rarely does. It started with some extraordinarily formative events. And so my life over the past decade, so I, I was married and got divorced when I turned 30 and I'll be 39 this year. So I would say really over the this last decade has been about rerouting myself and going back into my origin story and the things that I experienced in formative years that impacted this way of being in the world that led me to recognize I didn't know myself and I didn't love myself. And it's such a process. Like you said, you're 39
0: and you're, I mean, it's a lifelong process and it ebbs and flows. And I don't think it's necessarily, it's... Overall, linear, but we take steps forward and back. So, as far as loving yourself, talk to me a little bit about that because I think we think of that and that is such a big abstract concept, but I know it's a really important one if we're going to love our neighbors well. So, talk
1: talk about that and then how they relate to each other. Well, I, I said that one of the things that sparked this book and really connects with my concept of love is. The greatest commandments that Jesus talks about when he's questioned about what are the greatest commandments. And he says the first is basically to love God with your entire being. And the second is like it. And he says the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And a lot of times when we hear that in many of our communities of faith, it's love God, love neighbor. Mm -hmm. Like we actually don't even get to the as yourself piece. And the more that I dove into that, it's like, well, how do you love someone as yourself? if you don't love yourself. I don't know how that works. And so for me, it became um, a process to really consider what would it look like to love God, which leads me to love self, which then leads me to love neighbor, which then leads me back to loving God and loving self and loving neighbor, right? Like it's this ongoing cycle that takes me deeper. And so when I think about loving myself, I started to also think about the difference between loving something and being in love with something. Mm-hmm. Right? When we're in love with a person, there I mean there's no limit to what we'll do, right? To care for the person. We spend time, we get to know the person, we go on adventures with the person, we engage in conflict with the person because it matters, right? We identify values that we have in common with the person. right? We create a life with the person and it's proactive. To be in love with someone is an active thing. I would say love is an active force in general, but when we talk about being in love with someone, there's action related to that. And I feel like God is in love with us and invites us to be in love with ourselves and ultimately with each other. And so when we fall in love, we have to also do the work that goes with that of, what do I know about this person, right? What do I, what is this person's values? What does this person enjoy? And and that's basically what I did with myself. I got to know myself, who am I? How do I engage the world? What matters most to me? Um, What do I enjoy? How do I actually spend time uncovering those things or experiencing those things? And by doing that, I I got to know myself more and I got to love myself more and I became more curious. And I love the concept and and the invitation that curiosity um, issues to us because it really invites us to stop and to reflect on what we're experiencing before we get to judgment, before we make a conclusion. And I am able to be more curious about others as I've gotten more curious about myself. Yeah, it's
0: a hard concept. It's a great one to hear, but it's a hard one to do, especially as women, mm-hmm. as mothers who are caregivers. I mean, mm-hmm. as you're saying this, I'm thinking, well, when the Bible it says to die to yourself and I feel like all my resources, I'm taking care of everybody else. So mm-hmm. it's something we have to be intentional with, don't you think? I mean, it's, it's not just going to happen, especially
1: as women. Oh, no, it doesn't just happen. And we're taught from the time we, are, we emerge, even before we emerge right from our mother's womb, there are things that are imprinted on us that tell us how we should be or how we will be. And so it's, it's constantly engaging the work of deconstruction. And that's what i do with my my coaching clients right i invite folks to consider what they believe to be true about themselves how those truths came to be and what truths were about survival because i always want to honor the things that we do to survive because that's why we're able to be here today but what truths do we want to embody in order to thrive Mm. and then i help people figure out what thriving looks like because it's different for all of us but i think that we can't get to that without the work of deconstruction. And this is the thing, it is work. No one said that life was going to be easy. And and I think that for me, I wanted to fight for a life that I believe was abundant, that I believe was meaningful and that ultimately led me into deeper relationship with others and with God. Yeah.
0: And I think one of the points that you have that helps me get my mind more around the loving yourself is when you look at if we're made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And if, if we can't start, like for me, it's hard to be like, oh, I love myself. But it's like, okay, if I take a step further or back maybe and look at whose image I was made in, then that's an easier, I think, starting place. And it might be for some people too because that's an important factor in this.
1: And to take that step back, right, to take the long view, to look at who is this creator that I call God, that I believe in, and what are God's characteristics mm. and both the the character and very nature and heart of God? But also, if I believe that I'm made in God's image and bodily form, then that means that God is an incredibly diverse God within mm. God's self because we all look different, right? We all embody different forms and shapes and colors and sizes. And I think that's a part of God's genius to create us each in an image that If we are curious enough and if we are open enough, we get to know more about who God is when we engage in relationships with folks Mm. um, and in relationship with ourselves. But again, I I agree. It's not easy and it's a process and it's it's not like there's one thing you do and then it, it happens. Right. Right. You're constantly engaging the work. And so when
0: you go, you're going through that process of loving yourself, knowing, loving God, that enables you to love others well. So can you talk about the importance of that, the importance of the relationships and community and having diversity in your friendships, Hmm. if we're really going to embody what Jesus is telling us to love our neighbor, love others?
1: Yeah. Well, the other concept that was a key component of both writing this book and also it's been a key component of my faith, right, is around the Trinity. And I say in the book, I have no desire. I'm not an apologist, right? I have no desire to prove anything. And I'm really not interested in the how the Trinity works, <laughs> but it's fascinating to me, right? I get curious about why would God choose to show up mm-hmm. in this way, in a being or form that was in three distinct relationships, or three distinct relationships, three distinct parts that made up the whole And for me, it's because it was about relationship. You have this being that is in relationship with itself, but also in relationship that shows us what love actually is. Mm -hmm. And so if I believe that God is love and the Trinity is the thing that models that and the Trinity is God and the Trinity is made up of three parts, right? There's the creator, there is the liberator, and there's the sustainer then that led me to recognize that God, in God's infinite wisdom, who is the God of love, allows us or shows us what love looks like. Love looks like creativity or creation, love looks like liberation, and love looks like sustenance for the entire being, for the entire creation. That then gave me this image of, oh, this is why relationships matter so much. Because in relationships, right, at their best, That is what we should be experiencing. We should be experiencing creativity. We should be experiencing liberation. We should be experiencing sustenance for our being and sustenance that moves us out of ourselves into deeper relationship. And so
0: many of us are not. I mean, that's a hard thing. I'm an introvert. And that just sounds like so much work. But when you go back to God's model for that, of what love is, and it doesn't mean we have, I mean, it's going to be 500 people. I mean, who is God putting in your path? Who, is, who exactly. are you intentionally needing to connect with and to love and to fight for justice for? And I think we're all put
1: in places to do that. And again, Absolutely. it's work. And it's not about the quantity. Yes. Right? Like so I believe Jesus was an introvert. I mean, reading scripture, I'm pretty sure Jesus was an introvert, right?
0: Maybe you're right. I've never really thought of that cuz he got he really needed his time away, didn't he?
1: Yes, to recharge. Uh-huh. And he uh-huh. only was really ever surrounded in terms of his inner circle by a small group. Right? Yeah. The introverts, I mean, I'm introverted. I'm on the line but I lean toward yeah. introvert. And then I have a few friends that are definitely introverted and it's not about the, qu- the quantity of their relationships. It's about yeah. the quality, right? And they too like deep, sub- substantive relationships with smaller groups of people. So I think that we can get caught up in the quantity when I don't think that's ever what it's been about. It's always been about the quality.
0: And so during this time when we are way more isolated and we're just with our small core family, how does that play into our relationships? And how do we still, and I don't mean how do we sustain them like Zoom calls? I guess I'm meaning like, and maybe it is like really pouring into the quality for the people, our immediate people. Cause I know it's well, a hard thing right hmm. now connecting.
1: Well, it goes back to ourselves, right? We start with yeah. ourselves. So how are we nurturing the relationship with ourselves during this time? Yeah. Right? Um, so one of the things that's important to me is meditation, is sleep, is, you know, getting some sun. And so yeah. those things I need to do, right? And when I have my niece and nephew on Monday and Wednesdays, guess what? They're meditating now with me. All right, right, we've introduced meditation and we only do, I only do 10 minutes with them. I do 20 minutes normally on my own, but I do 10 minutes with them and I'm introducing them to that process, right? Or, you know, we're gonna have 30 minutes. You're gonna, they get to read whatever they want. So we had bought books before all of this kind of started and just nurture your passion. What is it you wanna read about? Take time to journal. What are you feeling, right? So first of all, it's like nurturing your own relationship with yourself. What are those things that give you energy What are those things that you do that really take care of your heart and do those things? And then what are those things that we do in relationship? I mean, for me, I have a roommate and we've been friends for over 20 years and we finally got Disney plus this week because she actually really loves Disney. I mean, I'm, I love Marvel. I don't love Disney. (laughs) But like one of the things yesterday was she really wanted to watch Onward and she's more extroverted than I am. And I'm like, I'm going to sit with her and we're going to watch Onward because this is something that makes her happy in this moment. And it was quality time, right? So we're able to spend time with each other or we're cooking more together now or play a game or just sit and work together. So part of it is what are the things that you love to do? What are the things that the people in your life love to do? And how do you find those points of connection? I have to also say I have a, um, I'm in a relationship and my, my partner is in the Chicago area. And so, you know, we're apart obviously right now. And I think he has been incredible in also modeling what does it mean to care for someone and do the things that are important to that person, but not just doing like begrudgingly, but like do them because he knows that it's important to me. So like over the last couple of weeks, we've watched movies together on Netflix watch because that's important to me to have a date night or the other day we made breakfast in our respective homes and sat down and actually ate breakfast together. Mm. Right. So part of it is like, what are those things that you do that are important for yourself and to continue doing that? But then for the people in your immediate circle, whether it's in your home or those that you're friends with, what do you know is important? For them and then how do you show up for them in that way? I feel like you're giving me a coaching session right here and now.
0: <laughs> I really do. And I think, <laughs> I mean, this is a message I think can really speak loudly if we listen to it. Because what I'm thinking when you're saying this is, yes, we're going through a wilderness right now that's hard, but we don't have to just survive it. Like we really could thrive through this. And I think it's how, how you're looking at it and how we're doing our time. And I know that's a message that you... You have not even when we're going through a pandemic, but for just life, like we just don't have to go through it surviving. Like we really can thrive, and these are all all ways that we can use this time. And again, I go back. It's hard as a mom because, as you're saying, some of this to do for yourself. I'm like, I've got to do all this for my children and my family. When when can I do this or that? But I think again, we have to be willing to put the work in and look at like, do we want to thrive or just want to survive?
1: And. I, I want to be clear about this, too, because in this moment, there's been a lot of, you know, I'm in the consulting world or business development world, and there's a lot of people talking about producing during this time. Yeah, and yeah. when I think about thriving, I'm not thinking about producing, right? right like, that's good. you know, and when I think about surviving, like, yeah, some of us, we just need to survive this moment. And if yeah. you get up each day, if you get up each day, period, that's great, right? Like, right, right. I don't ever want people to feel like inherently they have to do something what I want to invite people, though, to is what invitation might you be getting from your heart and from your soul
0: yeah.
1: to care for yourself in this moment in yeah, terms that's of your a good, being?
0: That's a very good point. And I think going just when when you mentioned meditation, I'm like, just those simple things to do for yourself, I think mm-hmm. is, is I, to me, that's thriving. That's not just surviving. Yep. So those things, it doesn't have to be you write a book during this time or... <sighs> Yeah. So thriving does not have to mean huge things. It can just be the the small things. So one final thing I want to talk just a little bit about when we're talking about using this time because I saw one of the videos you posted because you have like a self. What's your Sunday? Self love Sunday. Yes. Okay. So, well, tell us what that is, quick, and then I'll go dive into one of the videos that you had recently.
1: Yeah. So I just on Sundays I try to post. I used to post like a picture with like. Reflections, But then this year, I started doing videos that just takes a topic that I am like diving more into on my own self-love journey and expanding it beyond like just self-care to again, this work of falling in love with self, right? Of being more in touch with who you are and what you value and how you want to show up in the world. And so these videos just explore different topics based on what's happening in my life and also in the world and hopefully offer some inspiration to folks on this journey.
0: Yeah, and it's really, we'll put links to that because it, they're very powerful and you asked some really thought-provoking questions. Well, thank and you. it's pertaining to this time. I mean, one of them you say, or how are you being invited to slow down during this time? Mm-hmm. What if this is a season of intentional shedding and shifting mm-hmm. as we find center? And one of the little snippets that you had this last week was about, as it relates to our stories, was how in this moment are we maybe retelling our stories or reminded of our stories? or having to retell our stories in a different light or the lies that we're reading right now. Maybe is our storytelling death or life? So talk just a little bit about that one as it relates to our stories in this this time that we have.
1: Yeah, I I think about this time, right? We got a lot of time to think. (laughs) And for some of us, like, and I'm pointing at myself. So for some of us, spending all this time alone in our thoughts can be a dangerous thing, because we we struggle. I I do also live with depression, and I'm on meds. And now I'm in, I think, a good place You know, whether it's the shame of feeling like I'm not producing or I'm not, we can shame ourselves about so many things. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it is a pandemic and we literally are not supposed to be leaving our houses. So again, there's only so much that we can do, but more that we might be invited to if we just stop and slow down. And so this notion also of what does it mean to remember who we are? Because sometimes in these moments, all of the untruths about myself will come up. And as an example, so I'm a business owner. And, you know, the Small Business Association and the government has rolled out these grants and loans for businesses. And so I have to spend time figuring out what I'm applying for and do I have all the paperwork and, oh, wait, I didn't file taxes yet, so I'm not eligible for this one. And and then it, like, gets into this whole thing of me not being good enough because I somehow didn't do something right to have my business in a better shape before this hit. And then I can go down this huge spiral, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember your story. Remember yeah. the truth of who you are. Like, I'm reminded of that scene from Black Panther when he is fighting his mom. Like, show him who you are, right? Yeah. Remember who you are in this moment. And it doesn't matter what the, the government says about my credit worthiness. It doesn't matter that I didn't start my business with an a influx of cash. What matters is that I stepped out, that I took a risk that I'm providing us a meaningful service, that I'm someone who shows up every day. That's yeah. what matters. But it's easy for me to believe the other thing because that's what hard times and crisis does. Like it leads us to question everything. And I just want to invite people to know, remember who you are in the midst of this. Yeah. And whose
0: you are, I think is, yeah, I think those are both so powerful and we need, I know I do too. I need that reminder to be reeled back in because I can look at the end of my days with my girls and be like, I did not do anything productive with them. There's school. Okay. Reel it back in (laughs) Mm -hmm. with some of the truths here. And I think it's so necessary that we do that during this time. Oh, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about, I know we have to wrap up shortly, but you are a life coach and you, are you taking? new clients
1: right now. I am taking new clients. I mean that's the beauty of having an online business. (laughs) I know.
0: So tell me a little bit if people might be interested. This is a good time for a life coach. So tell me a little bit about those services if someone's not familiar with what a life coach does. Just give me in a nutshell all of that.
1: So I am a spiritual life and leadership coach. And so I work with both folks who are just seeking pure life coaching and also folks who are in leadership positions that are seeking transformational leadership. So Support and coaching. And so, the way that I talk about coaching is that it is a process, client directed process. So, the client brings the resource and the coach asks the questions that invite the client to come to not only their inner strength and wisdom, but also to create an opportunity to practice that new learning. Now, I would say I'm different from pure coaching in that I add in some spiritual direction. So, I'm always attending to the the divine for clients that want that. I'm asking questions of what the holy is inviting you to. And also I do a lot of work around deconstructing and dismantling beliefs and be- values that then lead to behaviors. So a lot of folks that come to me are people, I mean, I deal, I work a lot with women. I work a lot with women across the age span, really. Like most of my clients I would say are fifties, sixties, but are women who are in some type of transition, whether it's learning how to parent in a new time, whether it's learning or shifting from careers or into retirement, or whether it's like being for some of my younger clients, you know, in their career and wanting to make some shifts and changes. But a lot of my work is focused around deconstructing and dismantling. What are the stories that you tell yourself about yourself? What are the stories that you want to be true? What has been your previous experiences, especially in times of wilderness? Because I really want people to build their resilience. And for me, coaching is not about necessarily just creating a a plan and meeting goals. like That's kind of pure coaching, right? You have a plan, you right. work the plan, you get to goals. I really want people, again, to figure out what's meaningful and to create and live lives of meaning. Um, yeah. And so sometimes people come to me with one thing and then after a few questions, that's not the thing that we end up working on.
0: <laughs> if people read your book too, I mean, that is a good start to a little bit about what you're about as far as a lot that we've talked about today and your book is called Love Big The Power of Revolutionary Relationships to Heal the World and we will put a link to that but where can people find you if they w- they do want to connect with you or find out more about your services or watch your Self Love Sunday videos
1: yeah so you can connect with me on my website it's my name Rosella H. White don't forget the H rosellahwhite.com and my videos I post on Instagram and Facebook but my Instagram and Twitter are at Rosella H. W and my Facebook page is is at Rosella H White. And any of those places you can find more information about what I do and how I do it and feel free to connect and drop a line and let me know who you are. You have just been you've been
0: a joy and just full of wisdom today and I just appreciate so much this time and our
1: conversation. No, oh, thank you. Thank you so much and and we can do this. We are doing it, right? Yeah, it's not even a matter can. of if we can. We are.
0: I hope my conversation with Rosella has filled you with hope and encouragement to stop, slow down, and see deeply into your own heart. If you want to connect with Rosella, order her book, or find out more about her coaching services, the links will be in the show notes at HerStorySpeaks.com. As always, thanks for listening today. I know there's lots of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this one.